independent, expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Independence Day. This is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all thankfully without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. Tonight on Independence Day, we have the composer for AMC's Breaking Bad, and his name is Dave Porter. With film and television, as with so many other things, music can completely change the mood of an experience. Music can enhance action or drama, imbue a sense of foreboding or elation, or provide that tiny extra push needed to draw a tear from a viewer's eye. In AMC's hit drama, Breaking Bad, composer Dave Porter has a wholly unique and challenging world to fill with his soundtrack. The downward spiral of Breaking Bad's protagonist from a terminally ill chemistry teacher, Patsy, to a murderous and power-hungry drug lord wraps up its fifth and final season this summer, and Porter has scored every single episode to date. His music has brought the disparate worlds of Walter White and Jesse Pinkman a sense of otherworldly and gritty gravitas with a palette of sounds that mixes vintage analog synthesizers and unorthodox instruments. And like any good film score, he does it quickly, creatively, and with a journeyman's work ethic. Welcome to Independence Day, Dave Porter. Wow, thank you very much. It's I'm my... sure I deserved all that, but <laughs> well, sure, nice. you wouldn't thank be, you. You wouldn't be sitting in front of me if you didn't, man. So you, I mean, what an incredible gig you have. You know, I know so many musicians that would kill villages of babies <laughs> to get your gig. So, you know, you studied, I know you studied this in college. Yeah. Tell me, you know, tell me just a little bit about your formative years, how you got sure. into, you know, as a young musician, like we all dream of being rock stars and yeah. playing at the big, you know, for us, it was the Rosemont Horizon. Mm-hmm. You know, but tell me how you got from that into something like film scoring, because, you know, most kids don't dream of being a film scorer. Yeah, well, I think I mean I certainly did have all the, the the rock star dreams too, but actually my musical interest in education started earlier than that with classical music. My parents are both uh very musical people although not professionally. And so I grew up uh in a house with a lot of music, uh, but it was not rock and roll. It was all classical. Okay. Uh and so that was really what I knew until probably almost junior high school. That's some wicked ear training. Yeah. Because I, I kind of had the same sort of thing. Like, you know, I grew up, I mean, I, I had rock and roll in my influence. Like, my mom was the Beatles and my dad was the Stones. <laughs> so I was kind of somewhere in the middle. Yeah. But then we would go to church and I would hear all of this. I mean, I was Catholic. It's coincidence that there's a new pope today. I'm not Catholic anymore. But <laughs> but I used to hear all that music, like the eight-part harmonies in a cappella. Like, right there, I'd go to a choir and sit up in the loft. And, like, I think that really influenced my, my like, ear training. Like, got it right into my head from the get-go. No, I, without doubt. I'm sure it did. And uh, also, more than anything, too, I think it teaches patience. I think there's, a, you know, so much of music now as we digest it is so brief and so here, there, and then gone. Like everything else. Right, yeah, of course, uh, which is followed, exactly follows in suit with the rest of our society. But, uh, you know, that music written 100 years ago, 200 years ago, didn't have those restraints and it was written for a wholly different purpose. So to sit down now and have, yeah, and devote yourself to listening to that uh, is, uh, is, is very useful. I think yeah, well, it was, I mean, it's a much bigger production back sure. then because, you know, there was, I mean, recording isn't that old as an art form. It right. goes back to what the Alexander Graham Bell experimented in. It. That was like the last, again, it's two centuries ago, but the very last tail end of that. And we're not, and that's just very nascent forms. Right. You know, we're not talking about multi-track, which really didn't show up practically until the 60s. Correct. Yeah. So it's really changed. You know, yep. it, uh, you know patronage. 
Yes. You know, well, sure. Kings. Or, or has it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it has sure. or it hasn't. We all work for somebody when we're writing music. Yeah, but we're talking about bit. the idea of but, like a king or a duke yes. having like a court composer. Correct. Yes. And uh, so, you know, I, I grew up with that, and my father in particular was very interested in in uh, music from the turn of the last century, 1900, 1880 to 1920. So okay. you're uh, Shostakovich, you're Prokofiev. I'm a Rachmaninoff guy. Rachmaninoff, exactly. Even like Chopin, you know. And these, this is all the music that that informs film music today. It's like late period romantic. Exactly. You know. and, 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 and further even into dabbling with tonality, even all the way to Schoenberg, I think. Right. You know, there, there's a lot. All of those things have been played with uh, as film music and very successfully. So when it comes to like as a composer, like music theory is kind of like your stock and trade. Like as a kid coming up listening to all this classical music, I mean, I remember in theater theory class 1515 or 515, 1514, 1515, yeah, you know, yeah. like what... When did you first start to understand like how it was put together? Was that high school, college? Uh, I'm not sure I ever did. Yeah. To be totally honest, I mean, I, I, because I, I was started on piano very young, and I, I got uh, was one of those kids that trooped around and played in concerto competitions up and down the East Coast as a kid, and I was I was very into that. And so classical music for me was really about performance originally, uh, and it wasn't until I got into popular music as an older kid. Uh, that I got interested in making music. Okay. And it wasn't classical. <laughs> I was interested in making rock and roll. Yeah, who were, who were your gateway artists that got you from classical to popular um, styles? You know, Prince, I think Queen. Some of the stuff that, like, the older kids across the street listen to. Right. Like my, my, my friend who lived across the street had an older brother with one of those amazing... Uh, uh, like late 70s Corvettes and you'd be out there washing it and listening to Led Zeppelin or right. Queen or something like that. Those were the things that, you know, I think as a kid made me know it was cool eh? yeah. and then, you know, sucked me into to yeah. learning more and more about it. I'm very biased, I think, but I like because that music, I was a very, very young child when a lot of that music yeah, me too. came sure. out or maybe not even here yet for the Beatles in the case and the Stones right. and they started. But I mean, I, think, I always look back and think that was pop music mm. at, at one point. Mm-hmm. And I compare that to the pop music of today, and I think nobody's going to be doing doctoral theses on Katy Perry. True. You know, so I, again, I'm biased. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And you know, you know she's, whether she's good, bad, whatever, maybe you love her, I don't know. No. But I just, I feel like it was a, a really fertile turf to grow up on. Like that was good fodder. Yeah, for people to really get into. I'm sure. I'm also sure there was probably classic or pop music of that era that was scorned and is now totally forgotten. Oh, I'm and, sure. <laughs> we yeah, just, yeah. just don't know about. I mean, I, but yeah. So the, all of that kind of merged, and then uh, then for me, uh, technology kind of flew out. Well, first of all, I'm a keyboard player, uh, and I grew up in Maryland, outside of D.C. And uh, so, you know, I was listening to all this rock and roll music, but I was also studying and playing classical music. Uh, and then uh, got really into uh, the music that was going on in D.C. in the late 80s, Discord Records and Fugazi and bands like this. And none of them have keyboard players. Okay, right. <laughs> yeah, the only guy I know from that area is Danny Gatton. Wasn't he from, uh, he was from the D.C. area, I thought? He's a telly. He's a telly. Oh, Telly Shredder, like country up tempo. Uh, no, I mean the stuff I was listening to was like 
post-hardcore. Got you it. Know, after Minor Threat, uh, Fugazi, Shudder to Think, uh, bands, bands that in some ways informed, I think, what later happened in Seattle with grunge and, and all right. that stuff. So then how... So you, you, you've jumped ship, well not jumped ship, but you've, yeah. you've incorporated these other things into yeah. your little, your young developing right. mind. And then you go to college. Like, yes, exactly. Is that where you started the film scoring? Or? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I certainly had a love for film scoring and, and movies. And, and my dad was also a big audiophile. So you know, we had one of the very early, you know, taped together surround sound systems before. Then we used to watch, you know big movies and, and revel and all that stuff. And and I, I had certainly had a love for that and the technology, and it all kind of, I guess, merged together when I got to school, I think, when I got went to college. And I went to college outside of New York in a little art school there called Sarah Lawrence College. Yeah, and, and then lots of fo- famous folks went there. I looked it up, man. Sigourney Weaver went there. Didn't Yoko Ono go there? <laughs> she did, yeah. At I one point? So. Well, well before my time. Rahm Emanuel. Yes. Went there. Yeah. Uh, who else yes. did I look up there? Yes. Uh, I got a whole list of them here somewhere oh, in, my, in my notes. Goodness. But like, so it was, I mean, so, you know, going in, there were a couple of famous people in my college who are out there doing kind of things. J.J. Yeah. Abrams. Oh, yeah. Brian De Palma, Barbara oh, yeah. Walters, Carrie Elwes, Kira Sedgwick. Yeah, a lot of actresses, obviously. Sure. Yeah. No, I. it was a neat place to go to school. I mean, not so much for that aspect of it, but. The, there was obviously a high level of creativity, and 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 that was very much fostered there, and uh, and the ability I think for me to study music uh, an awful lot, but not exclusively. So it wasn't the same as I don't want to say giving up, but uh, I would, it's not the same as devoting my entire educational experience to music, like going to Juilliard. Right. So. Well, I went to Berkeley for a semester. And yep. I actually left because it was too much music. Yeah. That sounds ridiculous no, for someone not. who loves music. but At 17 or 18? Right. As, that's awfully early and, to be... Right. And even then I knew that I wasn't going to be... You know, because back then, God, it was the late 80s. It was warring factions of jazz heads and metal heads. And I was neither of those. I was kind of in the middle, like a functional yeah. guitar player. Yeah. But I had no desire to have the drill with the picks. Yeah. And I had no desire to, you know, have flat wand strings on my Joe Pass model. Yeah. But so I just felt like I didn't fit in. And like everybody was all music. It was like I couldn't talk to people about anything else. And I knew somehow I knew I was destined to be like a writer type. Yeah. composer type and yeah. it for me it was kind of stifling to have it all be music like there's nothing to write about right if all we're doing is playing charts forwards and backwards for me as a writer type i was really frustrated well you haven't really lived yet exactly right? you haven't experienced much at that age probably i mean yeah. most people haven't and of course we all know everything when we're 18 right <laughs> of course anyway so yeah. so you get out of you finish up school yeah and then do you get work in the music business right away yeah, I uh, well, I, I interned. At, one of the great things about going to school there too is the access to New York. So all the time that I wasn't in school, I was uh, farming myself out to be runners and assistants at all the studios in New York City, just to have that experience. And that really fed my technical side, the interest. I was very interested in engineering at the same time as I was, you know, happy to wanting to be a rock star. Talking like musical one. engineering, not, yes, not, like, no, right, not actual like, Yes, recording and engineering, musical right. engineering. And um, and also writing classical music too and and working with uh, multimedia, writing music for modern dance, film, and anything that music... So you're pretty immersed in it. Yeah, I'm trying to do all of it and trying to sort of sort out where I was going to go with this that could, you know, make a viable living. You know, I mean, the, the guys who were teaching me classical piano, 
uh, we're not making a great, I mean, these, these are fantastically talented piano players, better than I was going to be, uh, you know, who are living in the depths of the East Village in their 40s, which is, would have been, was cool for me at, at 20, but I, I knew even then, I was, that's not what's not where I wanted to be yeah. with that. And then, you know, making a living in classical music, extraordinarily difficult. Right. Uh, unless you're in academia. Correct. Which for me held no, didn't have much interest. Yeah. Uh, so so I knew that that, that was out. Uh, so you know I was interested in uh, being being an engineer or a producer. I knew you know I, I knew felt like I at least at that age knew a lot about music. I didn't, but I thought I did. And uh, and so all those things uh, led me ultimately um, to working in Philip Glass's studio when I got out of school, which is. Uh, no longer there, sadly. I think it closed last year or two years ago, but it was called The Looking Glass, and it was uh, downtown New York, just above uh, Houston Street and Broadway. Right. So then you're working in Philip Philip Glass's studio. What yep. what brings you to Los Angeles? Uh, it took me a while, actually. I hemmed and hawed with the idea all all along. I, right from when I came out of school, I was like, I should really go to L.A. if I want to do the, especially if I want to do the film scoring side. But I wasn't totally sure, and uh, so. I hemmed and hawed about it, but I had that opportunity to work at Philip Glass's place where I worked for a couple of years and didn't want to turn that down. And then I went to work for other composers along the way, all in New York, doing the kind of work that's in New York for composers, lots of commercials, mm-hmm. advertising, sports, did a lot of music for ESPN back in the you know, early 90s, mid-90s, and worked for guys who did, and then worked my way up to doing it myself. Uh, and then... Had a career there and was making good money doing all that. Uh, and if you'd asked me, I think at 27 or 28, if I would ever leave New York, I'd say, no, ever. I will live and die here. I will be here to the very bitter end. Um, but I actually got tired of it. I kind of burnt out with it. Uh, and uh, I didn't see too much future in the music that I was doing that was, well, two problems. First of all, it was being taken over by stock music. And licensed music, and that was the trend. Yeah, and stock music, music for people who aren't in the yes. know is music that's like it's essentially pre-canned, pre-built. Uh, you can buy whole libraries of this and plug it into your show or your commercial exactly. or your whatever. Exactly. So when I started out, everything you saw, for example, like on Discovery Channel, was uh, was written by somebody every week. And as I, you know, as years went by, more and more and more, this kind of things got replaced by music. It's cheaper, it's faster for, for them. And so there was that aspect of it. And the other aspect of it is just that I really wanted ultimately to work on dramatic stuff. Right. Whatever it was going to be, film, TV, whatever. And it seemed like L.A. was the place where the vast majority of that got done. Right. You know, and I'm looking looking over your credits here. Yep. You know, you did several things, you know, before you ended up getting the Breaking Bad thing, right? Breaking Bad gig. Uh, you know, was, was Six Feet Under, the last season of that was pretty early. It's 2005, was that the last season of that? This is a music editor gig, right? Yeah, so what happened was I, I came out here and thinking that my credits were <laughs> going to take me far because, I, you know, I'd done all this work and, and I, I... And you're obviously thought, a genius. Yeah, I'm obviously talented. I have my own, own my own mammon gear. I'm ready to go. Uh, it doesn't work like that, of course. You know, and and uh, so I spent two years watching a lot of Law & Order sitting on the couch, losing money. Uh, when, but I met people and got out there and uh, made a good friend who's still a good friend of mine named Bruno Roussel, who's a terrific music editor. And he was the music editor from the very beginning on Six Feet Under, HBO series. 
right. uh, from the early 2000s. And he got double booked at the end and asked me if I wanted to fill, fill, you know, fill in for him. And you know, I w was very hesitant about it, to be honest, because I, I really want to be a composer. And I didn't want to be known as anything else. Uh, but Gotta eat. It was the, yeah, and it was the smartest thing I ever did because it got me in a room with some incredibly bright right. people. And just to see the inner mechanics and the inner workings of how um, a really good TV show functions yeah. and works uh, was invaluable. Uh, from everyone wor working with the producers and being on the soundstage and watching right. it get mixed and all those things. Uh, and, of course, uh, I got to meet... Uh, Two wonderful friends of mine who were the music supervisors on that show, uh, Thomas Goldbich, uh, who was also the music supervisor on Breaking Bad, and Gary Kalmar. And they were at the time they were partners. Now they're, they're both doing their own thing. Uh, but I've worked with them both since uh, as a composer. And they both knew I wanted to be a composer. And yeah. uh, both of them have helped me a lot. Yeah, so you turn. started to do some, looks like you did some scoring. Yep. You got a couple, there's a couple of comedies, there's a documentary, yep. you've yep. got the O in Ohio, yep. uh, show Saved on TNT, it's TV, a little bit of TV yep. work there, yep. Ultraviolet, Vacancy, yep. Uh, and then this yeah. happens. Right. So that's the long version <laughs> yes. of what we were we were going to play here. Um, how in God's name, you know, because you know you're you're working, yes. you know, you've got credits, of course. But then, how did it go from that to this, like getting the Breaking Bad gig? Well, a few a few things. I mean, uh, part of it, like anything, is being in the right place at the right time and being fortunate. Uh, I think you also make your own fortune, but uh, it's. Uh, like I said, I had had this relationship ongoing with uh, Thomas Golovich, who's music supervisor, uh, and he'd be he'd been asked to take a look at a new pilot on AMC, and you have to remember this is uh, 2006, I think, or seven, and nobody knew who AMC was. They had right. they played old movies. Nobody watched for original yeah. programming, certainly. Movie classics, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. It was American movie classics. And uh, they had Mad Men, but it just come on the air. Uh, and this was all brand new. And yeah, to have, because there were only a few TV studios even producing shows up until AMC started doing their thing. Yes, certainly uh, non-pay channels. You know, right. You had, you had your big four big networks, but the rest were not, were not delving into dramas. Um, so, uh, he, uh, was asked to take a look at this pilot, uh, and uh, simultaneously, fortunately for me, uh, another friend of mine, Tom Villano, who's a music editor, uh, who I'd worked with previously on the, that comedy, The O in Ohio, um, had been hired as the music editor on the pilot. And Thomas this was interviewing for the supervisor position and asked me to come over to see it because he loved it and wanted my opinions about, you know, it. And uh, I just, I was blown away by it. The pilot was unbelievable. Uh, it looked like a movie, looked like a feature film. Yeah. And I, I was just stunned. And I just, I was, from that point on, uh, enormously persistent <laughs> that I was going to get the job. And thankfully, because it was below the radar, I wasn't uh, fending off hordes of other TV composers, frankly, because nobody knew about it. Yeah. Uh, that, that was the great fortune. Ground floor, man. Yeah, exactly. Grass, grassroots and being at the right place at the right time. Damn. Because I should say, I mean, you know, we played the songs if that happened. I mean, you made that, you know, so you had you'd seen 
you know, how much have you, have you seen the whole season? I guess when you when you when you came up with that, that's the main theme. Oh no, Bad. I'd only seen the pilot. Only seen the pilot. Okay, only seen the pilot. Yes. So I mean, it's so distinctive. You know, and one thing about this that's so interesting is that most of which, and we played a little bit of the long one from before, yeah. but, you know, we hear 19 seconds of that theme. Right. It's like a minute and 13 of that, that theme. Uh, you watch the pilot. Yeah. What inspired you to have like a resonator guitar with those like funny little tabla sounding things? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I was listening to it again. I, I actually watched the pilot last night to kind of get ready for this. Mm-hmm. And then there's the there's a point towards the end where the kick drum's playing, but then the kick drum then becomes the offbeat. Mm-hmm. It's it's on the onbeat, and then yeah. it becomes the offbeat for a couple seconds, and then it's just and there's that like weird like a cricket sounding thing. Like where in God's name <laughs> did you come up with? I mean, it's so gritty. It's a show is gritty. Yes. So, so yeah. t- tell me from your perspective. Well, first of all, I'll throw you a curveball, which is that. Uh, the version you see when the show airs, the 13, 15, it's like 19 version, or whatever so. it is, uh, came first. Okay. Uh, so that was a standalone piece of music, uh, which I wrote for the pilot uh, when the show got picked up and I have, was hired to do the show. Uh, and there were actually a number of competing versions that I wrote. Um, but all of this came through conversations with Vince Gilligan, the, the creator and the showrunner of the show, about where the show was going. And it's, it is hard. It's really tough. Show themes are one of the hardest things yeah. to do uh, because I, I have no idea where the show is going. And right. I'm not even sure Vince does. Right. You know what I mean? He has a great, he has, he has it mapped out certain, you know, a certain distance and so far. But it was, uh, it's, it's very hard, of course, to encompass. Uh, a, a gr- larger body of work like a TV show in a, such a small amount of time, especially when it hasn't been made. Yeah. And, you know, that's the other thing that was so remarkable to me is how short that little theme is because, you know, like The Wire, every, mm-hmm. you know, I watched, I've been, I'm working my way through The Wire again. I love the show. Yep. And there's this, every show has this long montage and they change it for every season, which is kind of cool and it yep. really clues you into things that are going to happen. And that's really cool. I like what they did with that, but yep. it's really tiresome watching that whole thing. And the thing with the Tom Waits tune, I'm a big Tom Waits fan, how every season is a different version of that same song, which I also think is a brilliant idea. What inspired you and the rest of the people on the show to have such a short little theme because all it is is like some graphics and they play the names of the actors and then you're right into the action of the show like was that intentional did it just happen that way oh i'm sure it's intentional i had nothing to do with it i I was presented to me and i I think that's true almost always as composer on a tv show you you get in and you're told hey the opening is going to be x okay length long Okay. If you're lucky, you get so some that was a parameter that was it was set me, before me. But but, okay. but 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 it is an interesting topic, and and certainly uh, the shortness of it is relates to the changing yeah. technology and the changing ways in which people watch yeah watch uh, watch these shows. Um, you know, if you're all these people who are watch, downloading it on iTunes or whatever they're doing. Uh, are, are fast forwarding through it. Okay, let's let's give a listen to that now. We've got the short version sure. queued up here because then we can go back and listen to the sure, long sure. one again. Um, so let's let's listen to this. This is the theme, uh, uh, Dave Porter's theme for Breaking Bad. And it's out. Yeah, you know. That's so. I think it's just brilliant oh, to have. Thank you. You know, to do so much with such a small amount of time. Like, but I mean, I'll go back to the question I asked before. Like, why? Why did you go that direction with it? 
Well, through the conversations with Vince and, and honestly just talking and guessing about where the show was going to go. Obviously, he knows much better than I did, but picking his brain and the things that he was interested in, the things he talked about. He talked about the show being, uh, in some ways, a, a postmodern Western uh, whether that's come to pass or not is, is open for question. I don't know if he'd even think that anymore. I bet he would, actually. Um, and the things that inspired him to make the show. And most of that was movies. Okay. Um, he comes from a directing background and a writing background. And, and so we didn't really talk about too much on TV. And certainly my interest in the show and having seen the pilot, thankfully, and seeing how filmic it seemed to me, um, I didn't was hoping not to have it sound too much like TV. Uh, and then in terms of uh, the style of what I chose to write, I mean, as I said, there were a couple of different competing options ultimately. But this was my favorite, and I'm, I'm really was really glad it was was the ultimate winner um, because it to me, it spoke, at least I hoped at the time, but I think true, to a place where, uh, the protagonist, Walter White, gets to later in the series, but isn't yet in the pilot. Yeah, because it, it's very ominous. It's ominous, but I hope it's also brash. Yeah. Bold in a way that seems uh, a little jarring. Yeah. Well, like his like his character. It's like the downward exactly. spiral of his character. Like you Correct. see this guy. I mean, and the, the tone of the whole show. I mean, I'm, most pe- a lot of people have seen this show. It's a fantastic show. Uh, but the, you know, the, you see this, this Patsy character, yep. you know, and he's, he's browbeaten and his brother-in-law takes his beer at his own birthday party to give him this, the toast. And, you know, his, his wife has kind of got a bigger set of cojones than he does in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And his, his kid, you know, is just a petulant teenager, like most teenagers mm-hmm. are. And you just get little glimpses in that very first pilot of like where he's going. You know, yes. and you have no idea that how far he's going to take that. Right. You know, so you know you're you've done the the, the pilot music. Yeah. You know. Yep. And I'm I'm curious now because now you're five seasons in, or four and a half, or yeah. five and a half, or worse. So you're right. about to do the last eight. You're working on the last eight episodes. I have not started. You haven't started. They're okay. still shooting the last eight. Okay. But um, do you when you're working on film scoring? Do you? Like backlog ideas, because like do you work like Prince does is my question. Because Prince, I've read, it's like a job. Like he goes into a studio all the time with his mm-hmm. band. His band's like on payroll, mm-hmm. and they come in and they just play music. He writes mm-hmm. music all the time. And they just like mm-hmm. bank stuff. He's got mm-hmm. piles and piles of music. Mm-hmm. Or is everything done to the action on screen afterwards, or is it some combination of the two? It actually is a combination of the two. Uh, at least for me, I'm not certainly not speaking for other composers, and and I'm not even sure that. Uh, on a different project, I would work the way that I work on Breaking Bad. But because I knew from the very start that I didn't want to have Breaking Bad be a uh, a score that revolved around classical instruments, violins, and right. things like that, um, it uh, it almost necessitated um, a little forethought from from me. Um, to make and manipulate some of the sounds that, that I use for the show. Uh, and I do some of that in advance. And I do have literally hard drives of stuff. Yeah. Somewhat categorized, probably not as, as neatly as they should be as yeah. for the time that I waste searching for things sometimes. But, but it, so that it's a kind, I'm, I'm sort of have that in the back of my brain. 
Uh, and then, but I, but I am also very inspired by the picture. Okay. So uh, I will, um, the, very quickly the way it works just a, on, in any given episode is that I get the episode the night before. I purposely don't read the scripts, by the way, I could. But I, I love to be surprised like everyone else and to have that audience reaction, I think, when I watch it for the first time, even though it doesn't have any music in it yet. Um, take notes. The very next day we meet with Vince Gilligan. We go watch it, the whole episode again. We talk about every scene in the whole show, whether it should have music or not and what that music should be if it's going to be there. It's going to be source music, a piece of licensed music. So there's a music supervisor there in the room. There is a music supervisor in the room, Tom Skolovich. Um, and uh, he, he's master of all things licensed. Or is it going to be score, which would be my domain? Uh, and we decide that. What, what's a, a general, like, off-the-cuff percentage of what's composed and what's licensed? You know, I know it probably varies from episode to episode, but you're coming up with for an average. I mean, you've done fifty some episodes, so an average episode has fifteen minutes of scored music, ten, twelve, twenty-five. You know, probably ten to twelve would be my guess. And licensed music depends, because um, I think the licensed music, and I, again, I'm, this is not my expertise, but falls sort of into two categories. It's a very featured. Licensed music, like the, a song that may p- be performed uh, in a montage segment of the show that's very prominent and plays. But then there's all kinds of, of uh, licensed music that you may not even notice. Yeah. The elevator music in, in, or music in the Denny's and, and all yeah. those things. And that, that adds up, I, but I, don't, I wouldn't know. I'd say probably five to ten minutes of that yeah. stuff. Yeah, and it's, it's so interesting, too, because I think you know, music supervisors are, are so fascinating to me. Uh, I, would love to, I would love to take a crack at doing that just once in my life hmm. because I think there's, there's, there's like two ways to go about their thing to fit music into a scene. There's like music that everybody knows. And of course, that's probably more expensive and harder to get. But you want to set a certain tone with a song that everyone knows because of that's the song that everyone knows. The moment I always think of is the Layla thing from the Scorsese movie. Yeah. Uh, when they're panning through and you see Maury with his throat cut in his car. Right. You know, it's like that, you know, that's Layla. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody, everyone knows that song. Right. Everyone under the sun knows that song. And to yep. use that in that moment, it's a very, it's a courageous choice. Mm-hmm. And then there's the music that, you know, some obscure band that only the music supervisor knows and like their 20 other fans <laughs> who bought their record. <laughs> yep. And taking that and then that's a whole different thing because like they could, they, as a viewer, they may not know the difference between what you're doing and that music, especially, they know you didn't write Layla, but right. they may or may not know if you wrote that other piece. You it's know, true. and I was noticing that last night watching the pilot. No, it's true, and a lot of people are confused about the difference, and understandably so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a blurry line. It is, you know, and yeah. that's what's so much fun about working behind the scenes in these kinds of things. Sure, is that it's a tabula rasa. You do whatever you do with it. You know. Yep. Um, let's listen to something else that you've sure. done. I've got uh, it's a theme called Babies Coming. Oh uh, yes. Uh, do you you know the scene? Can you can you I, lay out the scene for me? I can. Sure. This is uh, now. I may get its placement wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure it's the tail end of season two. Okay. Um, and this is. Um, the moment where our protagonist, Walter White's baby, is about to be born. But he's absent because he's busy trying to collect the drugs that they've made, the methamphetamines that they've made, uh, to sell to Gustavo Fring. Mm-hmm. And this is very our, one of our leading up to our very first introductions with, with Gustavo Fring, Gus who Fring. becomes an amazing character on the show yeah. for those of us, those who watch. And... Um, but, uh, of course, uh, Walt's partner 
Jesse Pinkman has got his own issues and he's wrapped up in his own drug use and he's not responding and he's the one with the drugs. So we have uh, a very a classic, I think, was why I chose to play this piece, uh, frantic, uh, high-tension series of events uh, all culminating in, in Walt trying to find these drugs. Okay. And, and the episode ends with the realization that his baby has been born and he totally missed it. Yeah. All right, so let's listen to this. This is uh, Dave Porter's, uh, some of the score he did for the Breaking Bad AMC drama, crime, well, it's crime drama, drug drama. I don't know what that show is, honestly. <laughs> it's a comedy sometimes. It is. It's a beautiful thing. I love it when stuff, you can't put your thumb on it. So this is uh, Babies Coming, and we'll, we'll talk over this in a little bit. Let's listen for a second. So you're building like a almost like a percussion bed here. Definitely. It's rhythmic. Yep. Little backward cymbals. Yep. Lots of uh, instruments and percussion that uh, was at one time uh, live played live and organic, but then I later chopped up into little pieces and processed and made into sounding still percussive, but hopefully not exactly or totally reminiscent of the instrument it once was. Yeah, well, you seem fairly fearless in that regard. I am, and I'm fortunate to have the medium to be able to do that. I yeah. think uh, there's a sort of an element of mystery and the chemistry and the science behind this show that has really enabled me to do that, with experiment with a lot of the technology in, in, in music, and then do this, which is throw out of nowhere uh, ethnic instruments that have yeah. no business playing together in the same piece of music. Yeah. So what what percentage of these instruments are like s- sample bank type things and what percent of them are live instruments that you're actually playing? Oh. This is a ballpark, you know. 75 or 80% is things that I recorded. Really? For, yeah. No, not necessarily for this piece. Like right. I said, this may, may, a lot of this is things that I, I knew I might need or I thought I might need and I banked previously. And then when I saw the scene, started to compile ideas and improvise and put all these things together. It's really interesting because I have so many friends who do scoring and they rely so heavily on, like, you know, they're not, like we were talking before, they're not... Um, canned music right but they're it's sampled instruments that you then play with a controller right and, and so much almost exclusively well and if you're writing for stringed instruments which are instruments that exist and we all know what a violin sounds like then why wouldn't you right i mean assuming you can't afford to hire a full orchestra which right which almost nobody ne- can no, no, hardly anyone does on television um, but the beauty of choosing a palette that is all experiment and experimental like this one um, is that you're not bound by those constraints. Yeah. And hopefully it gives you an avenue to not sound like a lot of uh, the other stuff on TV. Yeah. So what, you know, are you doing this out of your house? Do you have like a home studio you do this out I of? I do. I have a studio that's uh, behind my house. Okay. It's what used to be the garage. Keeps your keeps Very, your marriage intact. Yes. I imagine having it back there. Yes. So, I mean, is your studio like so many people's studios that it's just packed wall to wall with stuff and instruments and like music making gear i have a problem yeah i do, I do. gear acquisition I, I, syndrome yes. is what we call it in the industry i think yes i uh, particularly vintage synthesizers i have a frightening number of them uh and they they, they they threaten to take over the room at all times but uh but it, it is part of what 
I love about making music, the technology. So it, it's part and parcel of, for me, the creative process. And uh, having all those things to tinker around with and inspire me uh, yeah. is, is, is invaluable. So, you know, it seems like it's a kid in a candy shop kind of thing for mm-hmm. you on this show because it really, I mean, you've, it again, g- ground floor, you've yep. created it from the ground up. You yes. set the tone. You, you are, you, whatever comes out of your head is what the show is. Well, I wouldn't go that far, but but musically, speaking, musically, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. In terms of the original music, for the, yes, that that is certainly true. I think you know the conversations that I have um, with Vince Gilligan and the producers on the show is never about uh, what instrument to use where. I mean that that is my purview. The, what what they want to have happen and what I'm striving to achieve for them is uh, the specific emotional goals. Uh, that the music is supposed to achieve at any given moment, whether it's adding tension or dread or, yeah. or somber or whatever it is. Uh, hopefully not in a hit you over the head with it kind of way, but right. it, but in, in, an, uh, in an insipid way, <laughs> if I may. In, <laughs> I a, in under word. your skin kind of way. I, I love that word. Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's a drug show. Yeah. Well, you know, you I mean, there's something yeah. about this music in some ways and I don't mean this as an insult in any way but it should make your skin crawl a little bit like oh, I hope make so. you scratchy and oh, make you so. you know I, I myself have never done crystal meth nope uh, I, I, you know, I have not even if you did you probably wouldn't admit it on the radio no but, but I haven't uh, you know so we're taking artistic license but that's what we as musicians do all the time of course you know uh the, the people who write about heartbreak, I mean, I love sad songs. Like, I guess some of them, Elliot Smith might be an example, really do have those depths of sorrow. But like so many people, I remember seeing an interview, I think it might have been Steve Earle, and someone said, how do you write so many sad songs? And he's like, man, if I was that sad all the time, I would have killed myself years ago. Yeah. It might not have been Steve Earle, but if somebody was like that, he's like, look, it's, you know, I'm, I can go there. Yes. And I've been there. Yes. But I can't live there. Right. You know, right. I couldn't. It would be yes. impossible. Yes. And hopefully, you know, exercising that side of me allows me to not have so much of that in, in the rest of my life. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, because music tends to come kind of last. So when you get an episode, it's yep. fully edited. Is that correct? Yeah, it's essentially done with the exception of the music and, and some additional okay. sound and mixing and things like that. Like, do they, is it called Foley on TV as well? That's like a is, dopey yes. question. But, no, 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 it is, yeah. Because um, that's the one thing I noticed about your theme that I noticed from what the, the tracks that I, that I got from you uh, yes. and the track that's on the show there's no smoke, smoke sound. sound exactly i caught that right off yeah. the bat so yeah. is that that's that's added in by the by the sound effects folks yeah. very cool so yeah. so you've talked a little bit like you get the you get the episode you watch it yep. take some notes you have yep. a production meeting exactly at that point how much time do you have before you have to deliver uh three days my lord maybe four Depending on how it falls over the weekend and what what have you, but uh, yeah, I mean we're we're churning out, we're mixing these shows, doing the audio post production on these shows at the same rate they air. Okay. So we're turning them over. We're doing we're mixing one every week. Okay. So essentially, for me, it's a it's a two week cycle that I work on any given show, but the writing part of it is only one week. Because I'm by the time, if, let's say I'm, we have that meeting, that spotting session on a Thursday. By the next Thursday, I'm getting the next one. Right. And I have to have the previous one written and approved right. before that starts. So then you, you've got X amount of time. How are you – and this is totally inside baseball, but it's just something for my own, uh, my own knowledge. Sure. How are you delivering actual the, – the cuts? Like how are – is this something that there's like an FTP site? Do you 
drop off a hard drive, a CD? Do you have a carrier pigeon? <laughs> like what what uh, media are you giving them that I, then goes to air? I've been on the show long enough that it's changed with the technology, okay. actually. But uh, these days, uh, what I'm doing is I'm I'm putting uh, I'm putting QuickTimes up on a secure server that's, okay. that's run by the post-production It's team. essentially an FTP situation. Yeah, essentially. And and, and I'm just sending the, the snippet of the, the period, you know, with some tail, obviously, on the front end right. of this of each scene, which we've long discussed, so we know that there's going to be music there, which works in this just instance because Vince Gilligan is an incredibly busy guy and he's overseeing every aspect of the show, and it enables him, whenever he has 15 minutes in his insane day, to go somewhere and watch these things mm-hmm. and take notes and call me. Or So then how, how often are there revisions? Like you send him something and then he goes, you know, I, I can't have a drill there or whatever. That's, <laughs> that sample's terrible. Like, like, I mean. Yeah, usually. I mean, okay. I, it varies from, from episode to episode and from piece to piece. I mean, uh, some things go flying through. Uh, other things are complete redos. Um, most are just tweaks. I would say, you know, in, in yeah. the grand scheme of Especially things. Especially after five seasons, I'm sure you've got a working well, relationship that, worked out as well. Yes, that's certainly true, too. And, God, I've got so many questions about this. It's so fascinating to me how this is stuff is put together on this, this timetable. Um, because, you know, we're all mu- you know, we're musicians. We both yes. you know, compose. And it's like I can sit around with my guitar or a keyboard or accordion or whatever, yep. and stuff will just tumble out, yep. you know. But I can't say it's good or I can't say I would want to use it in a show that millions <laughs> of people are going to watch. Um, and I guess my other question is, so, you know, you have three days, and are you the kind of guy who then are you working diligently like eight hours a day on it, take a break, come back? Are you the kind of guy? Because, you know, you said you was like an average, like, let's call it 12 minutes right. per episode, right? right, on average. Right. Are you the kind of guy who's like, you, some, you bang it out? Are you the kind of guy who, like, do it, and then you bang your head on the keyboard and tear your hair out and, like, scrap it and start again and, like, I guess are you are you going up to that last second with edits? I guess is what I'm getting at. I use every minute I have, without a doubt. I have been known to be a procrastinator. Okay. Um, I tend to, but I but I do. I mean, I'm very. I spend a lot of time. So uh, you know, an average day for me starts at nine, and I'm writing until dinner, and then dinner after dinner, I usually go back. Yeah. Um, so, but it really varies. Some some weeks are easier than others. Of course. Some weeks it comes out of me quickly. Just it's, like it's everyone great, else's job, course. man. Everybody's job yeah, is the absolutely. same in some regards. And it's all based on you know improv, improv, improvising against the picture, and throwing things up against it. See what sticks for me. Um, hoping you get lucky with a little nugget that you inspires you, and then you're building and building and building on it. It goes very quickly, hopefully. Yeah. Sometimes you're throwing whole things out, for sure, that you've worked a whole day on. Uh, some days it goes faster. A lot of times I'm working on a lot of cues at once. I'll start one, I'll get stuck, I'll go inside, have a sandwich, come back in the studio. Does your wife, like, something. leave town for those three <laughs> days so she doesn't kill you? Or are you, are you, like, are you, are you able to be dealt with on a human level during that three-day stressful period? Thankfully, my wife also has a more than full-time job, so she gets it. Uh, but it is hard. There's no doubt about it. It is really hard. It's not an easy way to live. If it was something that I did 52 weeks out of the year, uh, I would be an unhappy guy. Yeah. You just can't do that. But thankfully, one of the things I like about cable 
is you get into these really intense periods of two, three months, um, and, and you're getting really into the project, but then it's over. And chances are, you know, you've got a few weeks of being able to sit around, change the light bulbs in the house you didn't change, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah. do your taxes. I mean, all the life things, go to the dentist. I mean, things that you can literally cannot do yeah. when you're in the middle of these very brutal television schedules. It's, it's something I like about our industry is mm-hmm. that so many of what we do, it's like project-based. Exactly. And I, I guess, and you have to have a certain temperament, I think, to you be do. able to deal with that kind of stress because, you know, it's funny because like thinking about doing this, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not doing what you're doing, but I've done it. I've done that kind of thing sure. before on a smaller scale. And I think, and I've looked at that deadline, I had a deliverable and I've thought about it. And like, you know, the idea of having to come up with music out of the ether, 12 minutes of it for, you know, that X, X amount right. uh, in three days for a show that millions of people will be watching a week later. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that's not like, that's easier for me to swallow than going to the same cubicle every day for 30 years and doing this thing. Yes. Like that, that, that kind of stress doesn't stress me out. But right. the stress, of like the banal stress yes. of the everyday doldrums does stress me out. It would, it would absolutely have done me in. You know. Yeah, and not for me. So we definitely share that in common. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's listen to some, something else. We've got another theme queued up here. This is The Long Walk Alone. Yes. Which is Heisenberg's theme subtitle. I love subtitles on songs. <laughs> and Heisenberg is Walter White's, the protagonist of this whole show. I hope we're not blowing anybody's, you know, I guess they probably aren't listening if they don't know the show. But right. uh, he's, that's his kind of alter ego that he takes on with his hat and his mustache when he becomes like this bad guy and does bad things. Yes. So set up this scene, this long walk alone scene. What's this all this about? This is, uh, I believe, at the end of season two, or forgive me, everyone, or the beginning of season three. It's blurs together. It's, it's okay, man. It's a great, sh- they blend together for me too and I've yeah, watched them all. Yeah, yeah, but uh, again, this is uh, uh, a big conversation in the middle of the desert between Walter White and Gus Fring and Walter has uh, not performed as he was supposed to in Gus Fring's eyes and so this is, it's, it is a long walk across the desert to what uh, could very well be his doom. Uh, but he does it with an, an absurd cockiness. And, uh, and that's, I think, uh, what inspired me to write this piece. All right, so let's listen to this. This is Dave Porter's music. He's the composer for Breaking Bad. We're very, very happy to have him on Independence Day tonight. I hope you guys are enjoying this. I know I certainly am. Let's listen to this. We'll come back. We'll talk about it in just a second. This is The Long Walk Alone, Breaking Bad Music, Dave Porter on Independence Day. So here, mm. we have very, it's almost Daniel Lanois-esque mm-hmm. soundscapes. Mm-hmm. It you know, is. Like, Hopefully evocative a little of the desert and uh, a little funereal. Uh-huh. But then there's this. Right. Which Melody. Uh, yep. Which is um, actually performed on a Japanese koto. Okay. 
um, which I own. I, ha I happen to have studied in Japan. Where in God's name do you find a Kodo, man? In Japan. I, okay. I, I actually lived and studied there uh, my junior year of school and then a little bit beyond. So you came by so it honestly? Traditional Japanese music, yeah. And, uh, and, uh, but it's been run through a guitar distortion pedal and some massive compression, and it sort of gives you this almost a Western twang, I think. Yeah. But, but, and it's fragile, I hope, and yet also very powerful. Yeah, and it's not as, I think I've heard this a million times, it's not as buzzy no. as it sounds like. It yes. sounds, you've, you've morphed it, you've brought it Western, literally. Right. You've dragged yeah. it into the Western exactly. and realm to do right. this. Right. And it's so interesting to me, because you know, we're listening to this theme music roll underneath us as we're talking, like, it really gives you a sense of when you're scoring for something that's on screen, mm -hmm. you know, there's holes. Mm -hmm. And silence is so very effective. Like, what's what? I'm curious. I mean, do you have a like a a, a theory on working with silence, like a note that's not there? Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, certainly on uh, a, a program that's or film or whatever it is that that's of this quality, um, there's so many great opportunities to do nothing, and where it's more powerful to do nothing, or to be very spare. Maybe like this cue, for example. Yeah. Um, but we talk about not using music on Breaking Bad far more often than we talk about using music. Yeah. Uh, for a couple reasons. I mean, one, the story and the acting and so many of the other elements of this show are so good that there's no reason to put music there unless it's serving a specific creative function. It's you're not there to help a bad actor be more emotional right. or anything like that. It just doesn't happen, thankfully, on Breaking Bad, which frees me up to use music when it's really there to hopefully do something evocative yeah and it's so interesting i just i keep saying that over and over again because i just find this this, this the, the, doing this at this level to me is so fascinating like i would i would i would relish the challenge of having to turn something around that fast you know but it's you know when, you know, when i work with stuff i work so much in song structure mm -hmm. and you know how a song is composed and these aren't really songs in the true sense of the word they're like incidental music, or it's, it's music that's setting the tone and like trying to be evocative of a certain emotion or thought. Right. Um, have you like you because you write your own music as well? Like I say, proper music. That sounds silly, but like popular <laughs> constructed verse, chorus, bridge uh, music. I do from time to time, um, but uh, since I've really become a professional composer, this is really what yeah. what what I do now. What I find interesting is doing a long-form piece of music like that, but involving techniques or recording techniques um, that you would find in pop music or yeah. rock music uh, in a context that is score and not something that's up front. And, I mean, if you're doing truly writing rock music, obviously, it would be uh, far too dominant yeah. to play a role um, as score in a, in a film or a TV show. Music is so important. You know, I grew up, my dad's a big fan of the Spaghetti Westerns. Sure. And, you know, those scores are so evocative and so, like, they, they set a standard for what a Western should be. And then when I was in, you know, in high school or whatever, like, the Young Guns movie came out, and they were using, like, modern rock music. And to mm -hmm. me, it was just all wrong. Like, they couldn't, it just, that world, the, the clash of that world, like, blew the movie for me as a music person. Like, I couldn't watch. It's like, no, I don't. I don't want a Jeff Beck guitar solo here. I mean, and that's yeah. he's an old guy, but right. he played on that John Bon Jovi stuff. And like I don't I don't want that. Like I want something like what you're doing that like it's it creates its own space and is its own thing. Um uh, you know, this is uh, often a different direction, but when you're having these meetings, like do you ever get 
don't want to say a fight, but do you ever like with the music supervisor, do you ever like have like turf wars, like where there's, there'll be a scene will come up and you're like, man, I so want to score this and I've got the best idea for it. And he's like, no, get, get out of town, Dave. I'm going to play this Portishead tune here. Like, do you ever have like turf wars about that? I will only admit this to you. Yes. Okay. We do. No. And, and, and they're, they're very collegial. Uh, and it happens actually with some frequency, um, maybe a few times a, a season. Um, and in those cases, uh, often Vince, sometimes he'll know, uh, just right off the bat that I always envisioned this as a piece of licensed music and in which case I won't go anywhere near it. But if he's uncertain, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's in his best interest creatively, uh, to take the best shot from each of us. Yeah. And we do that. I'll write something and, and Thomas will go find some song selects. What's your record? <laughs> you like fifteen and you eight win some, or... you lose some. Yeah, you know, I think I, pro- I, I probably lose out more often than I win. Only yeah. in that, you know, that there's there's a there's a substance and a and a power, obviously, with lyrics that yeah. that you can achieve in certain circumstances that right. that you're never going to be able to do with score. And you're competing with the entire catalog of recorded music, essentially. Oh yeah, of course. You yeah, know, yeah, and that's, no, it's, that's it's not a fair fight. That's not a by fair any, fight by man. any means. Um, but it's really not so much about that, honestly. It's about what what plays best in the context right. of the story. Yeah, and I, and I want to make it clear. Like, I'm I'm not trying to foment any kind of... Oh, then there is... You know, I imagine that. you're all professionals. Very you know, professional, you both yeah, as yes. I and want... And friends. Exactly. To boot. I, mean, I imagine. Not, and yeah, and you both, your goal is to serve... Absolutely. ...the overall show Absolutely. as best as it can possibly be. Absolutely. And if that's an episode where I write nothing, uh, which has never happened, but it's come pretty close, there are a few episodes where I literally had a minute worth of music to do um, just because of the nature of the episode. Yeah. Um, that's And that's the right choice creatively. Then Would, I'm more than Does more that like psych you out where you're like, I only have to come up with a minute. It has to be the best <laughs> damn minute I can possibly come up with. I try not to do that. I think those things. Yeah. You know, I, it's, uh, it's, you know, I just really try to get into yeah. them. Into the moment of the whatever it is, and 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 also you know part of that what helps with that is that once I've been assigned my tasks, I usually only watch the parts that I'm working on. Okay. That's not until later that I go back and watch the whole show as a whole and make sure that it all kind of sits. Do you? Then this is like the funniest thing. Do you watch it when it airs? I do, but not religiously. Okay. Um, it can be pretty depressing. You've probably seen it about. How many, well, how many times course. do you think you've seen it by the time it airs? Uh, many. I don't know. I mean, the whole episode, at least 10 or 15 times. Yeah. But the, certainly the scenes that I've worked on, hundreds, hundreds. literally hundreds of times. Yeah. So there's that. And then there's also the fact that, as you know, anything that gets broadcast gets squashed. Right. So, and this is not AMC's fault or, or any, any network's fault. It's an FCC requirement that uh, everything that gets broadcast has to be in a certain dynamic range. And so what happens, unlike, say, watching it on a DVD, when it gets broadcast, um, a lot of the nuance gets lost, which is a little hard for creative folks who work in the audio industry. And I think you'll find a lot of us don't watch things on the air yeah. too often. I enjoy watching it with my wife or friends and uh, and just to see the reaction, of course, because it's such a, a great show. Yeah. But... Uh, but but in general, you know, it's not something I uh, seek to do. I much rather when I when I go back to watch, I watch on DVD. Yeah. And when we when we're in the mix studio, we're mixing for DVD. 
Yeah. Because well, yeah, that, that's got the, or Blu-ray. I mean, at yeah. this point, I mean, because that's got the greatest opportunity to have the greatest sonic impact. Um, and why wouldn't we take advantage of that? Yeah. So let's let's take just a little step back. We talked about this as we were we were warming up before we even went live tonight. Uh, this concept of binge watching oh, yeah. and how that affects what you do or does it. You know, so many people, myself included, I find it very hard to sit down once a week for an hour or whatever night to watch my program. Right. You know, to watch one sure. episode of anything. Like I, I, I want to make it an event. You know, right. I want to like, I've done this with my friends where we'll save up three episodes of Breaking Bad or three episodes. We watched The Pacific this way too, mm-hmm. which I love that mini. I love both sure. those miniseries, Fantastic. Band of Brothers, yep. um, where you save up like three and then watch three in a row because then you get these thematic through lines, but maybe you're missing out on like, thinking about what happened for that week like where where do you stand on this somewhere in the middle anywhere I think it's fascinating I, and I'm not sure where I stand on it to be honest I, I think we we at Breaking Bad I think are certainly are making a weekly show I mean that's that's what we're doing that's how it's been since the beginning I do think the dynamic of that is changing we were talking about uh, before we came on the air about this show uh, House of Cards on on Netflix which I haven't seen but I've heard very good things about um, and they developed a series and released all 13 at once so that you could watch. And that's clearly a reaction to the fact that so many people on Netflix or on iTunes or if they're watching not on its original airing uh, are watching three, four, six, ten of these episodes, yeah. you know, and staying up all night watching all these things. And I, I and part of me f- uh, finds that uh, fascinating and, and, and I'm flattered to work on a show that's, that someone would want to stay up all night watching. But on the other hand, there is something about it that we're working on it, well, first of all, for months, each one of those episodes that are getting devoured in 40 minutes. Right. Uh, but we're also, you know, putting them out every week with the thought that you're going to have that week to digest between. And uh, that dynamic may change, I think, in the future as, as the way these yeah. kinds of shows or these series get made. Um, but for now, that's how we think about it. Um, and I, and I think there's, uh, you know, there's no right or wrong answer yeah. there, but I, I think there is something to be said f- for taking a step back and, uh, and really thinking about, uh, what's transpired. I've, I've got to a place where I think, because we've seen this coming for a long time, this like sure. on demand world. Right. Um, and it's been coming and coming and coming and the music industry has already been there. Yes. But when it comes to other like uh, multimedia, and when I say that, I mean visuals and music, TV, movies, et cetera. Yep. Um, I feel like that time is just, that boat is just now docking yep. where, you know, I've had other friends with this technology, but it's starting to filter down. Like I'm getting other people's hand-me-down stuff that allows me to watch the internet stuff on my TV. I don't have an Apple TV yet. I wish I did. Right. If anyone would like to donate one, you can send it right here to the studio. <laughs> I'll be happy to try it out for you. Uh, but it's it's pr- it's arriving practically now. Yes. You know, and like Netflix is so frustrating because it's like a moving target. Like they keep changing what's on there. Mm-hmm. You know, there will come a time where people won't even stand for that. Sure. You know, where it's like, as the consumer, the consumer always wins some way or another. Right. And it's like, that's what it will be. Right. You know? So, you you know, you're how much more time before you have to start composing? I mean, when will you get the first episode? Do you know? Um, for the last, we're talking about the last Yeah, we're eight, talking about the last eight episodes. Because they the split, show. for people who aren't in the know, they split the last season of Breaking Bad into two eight uh, right, eight which episodes. Internally, segments. we call five A and five B. But okay. but yes, uh, the final eight arrive in my studio. The first of the final eight, mid April. Okay, that's not too far off. No, it's coming up here right quick. So you better go to the dentist. 
Yes, <laughs> and do my taxes. And do, uh, I, literally, that's what I'm doing. I uh, uh, did a show uh, earlier this year that's on the air now for ABC called Red Widow. Okay. And uh, I've been done with that for a few weeks, and I'm just taking a few weeks off and prepping and sort of getting psyched up for, so for do going you, back to Breaking Bad. Yeah, do you... You know, obviously, you know, you've had a through line with these different instruments you've used and these different yes. musical motifs and themes and the overall sound. Yeah. Um, are you are you like shopping for a new analog synth to like bring <laughs> one new element in for the last thing, or is it is it is it already so? I don't know, entrenched sounds like a bad word, but is it already so established that you're going to use what you've got laying around? Uh, well, first of all, n- neither here nor there. I'm always shopping for <laughs> new old synthesizers or new synthesizers. That that happens no matter what's going on, even if I'm from broke. But uh, in terms of the show, you know, the sound, it, to some degree, is certainly established. But I would also hope that it's evolved over the course of five seasons. And uh, it's in some ways, it's gotten darker, of course. Yeah. The show has gotten darker, and it's gotten more intense. Um, but and the, and the palette has shifted a little bit here and there. Occasionally, each season, I try a new little thing here and there to, to obviously to breathe new, help it evolve along with the storyline. So I think it will be incremental change. Yeah, you know, it it, it, it there will be obviously a, uh, it's going to be the end. I have, I yeah. don't know any more about it than anyone else yeah. because uh, I'm not around the writers' room. But uh, I can I feel confident that it's going to be yet another level of yeah of uh, craziness and uh, I'm sure I will hopefully raise my bar one last time to get yeah. to Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward it. to it, man. I mean, music and otherwise. It's been such an, a fantastic show. I it's it was an accident that I got this show. A friend of mine got a screener set of AMC. It had oh, yeah. uh, Mad Men and Breaking Bad in this little white box. Mm-hmm. But it didn't have all the episodes. And it was really frustrating at first because I was watching Mad Men first for whatever reason mm-hmm. and like I was watching it with my girlfriend and there was like one episode and another episode, but they weren't numbered. So it's like we oh. just kept watching them in sequence. But I did. I was like halfway through the whole set before I realized, who the hell is that guy? Uh. Why? What's this? What are they talking about? Oh, like dear. they didn't tell me that they left out episodes like three through five, <laughs> six, whatever, <laughs> and then dip back in and then come back out again. It was like, oh, uh. I mean, that, that's good, I guess, because there's more out there. But now I've already spoiled myself for the stuff that I knew sure. was happening as a big fakakta. <laughs> but then, uh, so I. But Breaking Bad came second, and it's. Watching that show mature to me was a fascinating thing. AMC just getting into making their own stuff. Yep. And, you know, it seemed like initially it seemed like, you know, they, they didn't know what they wanted to do with it. They had this idea, this great idea. And then just watching it grow and change was so fascinating to me. Yeah. I mean, I think Vince Gilligan always knew what he wanted, you yeah. know, and, but, but, but not that he hasn't audible along the way. He yeah. certainly has. And uh, it's been, it's been an amazing thing to be a part of. I, yeah. I've been so, feel so fortunate. And, and to see it come along, I mean, uh, just to, to have it become, go from something no one had ever heard of or watched to something critics watched and some astute people talked about but probably hadn't actually seen yeah. to something that it's is not, it's like one wins awards and is now like genuinely water cooler talk. Right. has been unbelievable, a neat, neat experience to be a part of. And a great thing to have on your resume. Yeah, I hope so. You know, we'll going see. going forward. Uh, just a couple more questions sure. before we run out of time here. Um, when you're when you're going into an episode, uh, this feels like I'm tacking this question on, but I'm so curious. I have to know. You're following the storyline too. Yes. You know, are you emotionally invested in these characters, and then 
And if, if so, are you using that emotion then to come up with the music that you're writing for the things that happen to them, good, bad, or otherwise, on, on the screen? Uh, I'd like to think so. I, I don't know that I can honestly answer that question to know, but I certainly feel invested. I certainly am uh, not uh, want, by no means a Brian Cranston <laughs> or a method actor, but I, I uh, in when I'm when I'm writing it, I, I, I try very very hard to be in their shoes, um, or sometimes, or or in someone's shoes who's watching what's happening or whatever point of view the story is trying to get across the most. And that's something we do talk about too yeah. in, in our spotting sessions. So fascinating. And this, this is the last question, then I'll let you roll out of here. Uh, what do you listen to for fun? You so, work in music all the time. You're a composer. You create music. Uh, for me, when I'm writing, I have to physically force myself to not listen. I like I take all the CDs out of my car. Interesting. I don't let myself turn the radio on because I find that my brain will start to hiccup. Need music, need music, and uh, it will fill that void automatically. Interesting. So do you? I'm the exact opposite. Okay. I have to be forced to listen to music at this point in my life, which is a sad thing to say, but I because I'm doing it all day long, and I'm very immersed in what I'm doing. Unless I'm doing research for something I'm doing upcoming or. Uh, you know, have a lot of time off when I'm out of the studio. I usually choose not to listen to a lot of music. Interesting. Yeah. Anyone that you do for fun, though? Like, is there? Uh, like, I mean, like, what's the last CD you put in? Was it Radiohead? Was it classical? Was uh, it? probably. Or give me uh, a genre. Silver Sun Pickups. Okay, local band. Is, yeah, which is an LA band, but somebody, um, my friend of mine, turned me on to. I've been really enjoying their stuff. Um, but uh, beyond that, you know, I go often back to a lot of the stuff from our childhood when I have time to listen to music. Uh, Zeppelin rules. <laughs> yeah, well, everything <laughs> from that to synth pop and whoever knows what else. But yeah. Classical music, too. And then uh, I guess this is really the last question. What What's next? You know, this shows, you know, you're going to wrap this up. If it's airing in July, you're going to be done with music by yep. then. Yeah. And what's up? Well, I... I don't know. Nothing concrete, no, nothing I can at least talk about yet, but uh, there are some things floating around out there that I'm hoping to get involved in. But and on broad strokes, you know, I've had such a good experience with this uh, that, f- and this is, to me, the golden age of television, uh, I, I, of at least these kinds of dramas. I certainly hope, while there'll never be another Breaking Bad, exactly, uh, I really hope to be working in real high-end television and then ultimately hope to make the step to, to doing feature films. Yeah. That's the goal. Yeah, yeah. Films are cool, man. Absolutely. I've always, I've always been very envious of Mark Knopfler because he, you know, he said film scoring was the hardest thing he's ever done. When he did Princess Bride, he did Local Hero, yeah. he did Cal, he did a couple other things yeah. too. But uh, and he was pretty successful. But there's there's a, there's a long road of littered rock stars who, yeah, who couldn't make. That's it's a big change. It's a very very different discipline. Yeah, very much so. And rock stars, not necessarily known for their discipline. <laughs> so if, uh, if you out there in Radioland, you want to learn about Dave Porter, what he's up to, making Breaking Bad music, et cetera. The, there's a record that came out last August, actually. Yeah, so all, those, all those cuts that we listen to today are, are on the Score soundtrack, which available is available at iTunes. iTunes. And, they... if, and if you want a physical CD, you can get one at Amazon if you're old school like me and you yeah. want the actual high quality. Yeah, high, <laughs> CD high quality. Ha, CD high quality. Exactly. Yes. So, but you can learn about Dave, daveporter.tv. The guy I know that has the .tv uh, URL, but it totally makes sense for what you're doing. Mm. Uh, also, you're on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash pages slash Dave hyphen Porter, I think. At least that's what your publicist sent me. 
Uh, well, let's trust him. Yeah, so well, honestly, he, don't he knows best. He's earning his earning his nickel. Um, so, Dave, I can't thank you enough, man. Thanks for coming and talking with us about this. It's uh, been an enormous pleasure sharing your experience, uh, and uh, you know, best of luck to whatever you're doing next. I'll certainly be looking for your name in the credits. Thank you stuff. so much. I really so, appreciate it. Yeah, and you can always, as always, learn about Independence Day dropping by indepday.com. That's I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y, uh, facebook.com slash indepday, and please follow us on Twitter at indepday. Uh, Independence theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. Thank you, as always, to Valentino Rivera from Lancer Radio. For Independence Day, as always, I'm Joe Armstrong. If you do anything, please be good to one another. <laughs>